I told you lately that I love you. More importantly, you're loved by a good God and a risen king. And you're not walking through whatever you're walking through by yourself. Acts 1. So um, all of us in this room today, we are all at the same time we inhabit multiple worlds. Multiple spheres. You got your world at home. You got your world at work or at school. You got your world at church. You got your social media world. And so we're familiar with this idea of living in different worlds at the same time. And maybe we're familiar with sometimes when two different worlds collide or meet, it can get a little awkward. So maybe in your, at your house, uh, maybe around your dining room table, it's totally normal for uh, a child to let out a big old belch after dinner. Uh, maybe, I don't know, in my house that happens more frequently than it probably should. Maybe that's no, but maybe you take your kids to a four-star restaurant, a five-star restaurant, and little Johnny lets out a big old belch that's heard three tables over, and you say, hey, we don't do that here. And he says, well, hey, we do it at home. And Well, we're not at home. We're not in that world right now. We're in this world right now. Or maybe you can relate to, maybe you got a Snapchat or a, you know, our students, you got your Instagram or your, your Snapchat or your Instachat or whatever you got going on. And maybe Ashley, your youth pastor, or one of the other youth leaders starts following you. Or maybe mom starts following your account. And it's kind of like, wait a minute, my church world is colliding with my, uh, with my social media world, my my parent world, my home world is colliding with my social media world, and maybe it can feel awkward when those two worlds collide together. And what I'm driving at there is we all live in these different spheres at the same time. And as Christians, if you're a Christian today, the New Testament tells you that you live as a citizen of earth, but you're also a citizen of heaven. And you, you, your citizenship is in heaven, even at the same time that your citizenship is in earth, and, and you're a resident of both both realms, but as Christians, we kind of get awkward when we start trying to explain how heaven and earth relate to each other. We can get awkward when it comes down to explaining where is heaven, what's heaven about. Just walking out the door this morning, my son, Ethan, four years old, said, hey, dad, is Jesus in heaven? And I said, yes. And he said, well, is he in our hearts? I said, yes. And he said, well, is he at, is he at home? Yes. Well, how's he, how's he all these places at the same time, you know? And we talked about how heaven isn't just a place up in the sky. We, we, where, where we get a little bit confused is that word heaven in the scripture um, is used to describe the literal sky, which is part of this creation. But heaven is also used, and the way we're talking about it today is used to describe the realm or the sphere where God's will is done. God's uh, God's uh, abode, God's dwelling place, this place where God rules and 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 and. and in the beginning, when, when humans rebelled against God, uh, these two halves of reality, heaven and earth, that were made for each other, that were made to belong together, when we rebelled against God, there became this rupture between the realm of heaven and the realm of earth. There became this divorce between heaven and earth. And when Jesus stepped into our world, he put on flesh and stepped into our world, the incarnation of Jesus Christ is about, uh, is about Jesus bringing the life of heaven and earth together again. It's about... The, the life of heaven invading uh, this, this, this life of earth. And so some people today think about heaven, and we think about a place way out there in the sky. And some people today think about heaven <clears throat> as a state of mind, or as a feeling, or man, that chocolate pie uh, that, 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 that I bought from the youth auction, it was heavenly, you know? And we have all these different ways of describing heaven, but biblically, heaven um, uh, is, is the realm 
of God. It's God's space. And it's not just way out there. It is, but it's also this very space right around us. And so uh, God, the, the scripture talks about he is beyond us and he's transcendent from us, but he's also imminent and he's close to us. And in Christ, he's brought that life of heaven uh, to us. And Jesus' way of saying that is the kingdom of God is at hand. His way of teaching that is te- telling us to pray, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're called to be people who continue to pray for the life of heaven to continually invade the life of earth. Anybody here, uh, when you're not, uh, uh, when you're not you know, studying, reading your Bible, anybody watch Stranger Things on Netflix? Anybody come across Stranger Things? Um, yeah, and, and Stranger Things, um, and that's actually my ringtone uh, on, on my phone, the Stranger Things, uh, because when I get a call from one of y'all, it usually is a Stranger Thing about to happen. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, but, but Stranger Things is this TV show and, uh, and it's set in the 80s, and these boys tumble into what's called the Upside Down. And the Upside Down is this dark dimension this, that occupies the very same space as this world, but it's kind of the dark side of this world. And there's this, this demonic and scary stuff going on in the Upside Down. There's this boy that gets lost in the Upside Down. And, uh, and that's all the descriptions that I'll give. But, you know, they're borrowing from... They're borrowing from the real story. You know, there is an upside-down, dark sphere, dark dimension that's right here occupying this very space. There's a dark side, but there's also a right side up. There's a, there's a kingdom of darkness, and it's playing out right now, but there's also a kingdom of light. There's a kingdom of God, and God is at work in the sphere right around us. And, and, we, and, and heaven and earth aren't just these spheres that are far apart. Heaven and earth are these two sides, and heaven is God's realm, and he is invading and has invaded this world with his rule. Uh, why, why are we talking about all that? Good question, Matt. I'm glad I asked that. We're talking about all that because as we look at Jesus ascending into heaven, we're not saying that Jesus is the first astronaut, and he went up into space, and he's just fluttering around there somewhere. Um, the, the first cosmonaut from Russia that went up into space, he said, he, said God, he came back and said, God's not real, I didn't see him up there. And, 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 and we have this idea that heaven is someplace off out there, but heaven is God's realm, heaven is God's space, and it intersects, in the words of, uh, of N.T. Wright, it overlaps and intersects with our world. And as we look at Acts, we see uh, how life looks when Jesus is acknowledged as king. And we're going to see how the church looks when Jesus is in charge of the church. And we're going to look what, it, what life looks like when heaven invades earth. And we see people getting set free from demons. We see people uh, laying their addictions down. We see people uh, going from being persecutors to becoming pastors. We see people forgiving. We see people giving. We see people living in community with one another. We see generosity. We don't see perfection, but we see a glimpse of what happens when heaven invades earth. And so there's three events of Jesus' life that get a lot of attention. We make a big deal out of his birth, right? Which we should. And we, we, we exchange Christmas cards uh, and stuff like that, presents. We, we should and do make a big deal out of his birth. His death, I mean, huge deal, right? I mean, Good Friday and then just talking about the cross, the centrality of the cross. And Easter, I mean, you might get an Easter card. Um, you, you know, we were going to have a special events on Easter. We know what a big deal Easter is. But Ascension, Ascension Day, which comes, you know, 40 days after, after, uh, after, after the resurrection, we don't make a big deal out of, out of the ascension. When was the last time you got a, an ascension card? Hey, happy ascension, Christ is, Christ is ascended in heaven. We just don't emphasize that, but it's really, really important. There's a beautiful German word uh, that, uh, that is the word for ascension in German, and it just really captures just the beauty of, of this, and it's the word Himmelfart. 
Um, and so, and so, maybe give your friends a happy hemofart day this uh, this ascension. Um, I didn't make that up. I didn't. I wouldn't lie to you about something like this. Okay. Um, but but uh, but yeah. So so it, we don't make a big deal out of this ascension event. And yet the ascension of Jesus means that King Jesus is victorious. The ascension means that King Jesus is available. The ascension means that King Jesus is returning. King Jesus is victorious. King Jesus is available. And King Jesus is returning. That's what the ascension is about. Acts 1 verse 6. Um, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will return, will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. The resurrection of Jesus is God's vindication of Jesus and his way. That Jesus is who he says he is. At the ascension of Jesus, we see Jesus being exalted and crowned as the king of of the universe. And so we think about Jesus' life. He has always been from all eternity. He's exalted. He's second person of the Trinity. Always has been. Always has been God. But then in his incarnation, he becomes, Philippians 2 lays out, he becomes one of us. He empties himself, becomes human. And he, he, he's obedient to the point of, of being a slave all the way to the death of a cross, going to the very lowest low anybody could possibly be. And then he's risen from the dead. And then he has ascended into heaven to be exalted at the right hand of the Father to the name that is above every name. And at the ascension, we see Jesus crowned and exalted as king. There's a couple of New Testament passages to think about the ascension and what it means. At the end of Luke chapter 24, Jesus uh, uh, tells the, uh, the disciples to wait. He tells them they've got this mission to accomplish, but to first wait to be clothed with power from on high. And they see him ascend. And at the end of Luke 24, the disciples go back and they worship Jesus joyfully. So one of the byproducts of fixing my mind and my affections and my heart and my imagination on the, the ascension of Jesus, the fact that he is enthroned above all, is that that's going to lead me to a, a deeper sense of mission. That's going to lead me to a sense of, of, um, of joy. It's going to lead me to worship. Ephesians chapter 1 you want to write this passage down, verse 16 through 23. Ephesians 1, 16 through 23. Just really zeroing in in Paul's letter uh, on uh, around verse 21. This is a great prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesian believers and for all believers. Um, and he says there in verse uh, 20, the immeasurable, or 19, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. He worked in Christ when he raised him up from the dead and seated him, Ephesians 1.20, a seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. For Paul, in this prayer, the ascension of Jesus means that Jesus is seated and throned above every ruler, every power, every authority, every dark spiritual force, every name you've ever been called, every name you've ever called yourself, every sin you've ever committed, every shred of shame in your life, every bit of addiction, 
and every bit of sin in you, Jesus Christ is enthroned above, and all of those things are under his feet. All the forces of evil that want to drag you down are under the feet of the enthroned and ascended Jesus Christ. It's a pretty powerful implication of the ascension. Philippians 2, this incredible poem that Paul talks about how Christ is exalted above uh, the name above every name. Romans 8.34, we read there that Jesus, the ascended Christ, is seated at the right hand of the Father and he makes intercession for you there. Incredible. Jesus bodily at his ascension, he bodily, physically enters God's space, God's realm. And he does so in a way that communicates to the disciples as he, go, as he goes up into the sky and he goes into the cloud, he's communicating to the disciples and us, our relationship is different now. I'm not just coming and going like I have been over the past 40 days. I'm going in a way that's different. And we're going to talk about what that different relationship means. So the ascension means first that Jesus, King Jesus, is victorious. Everybody alive? We've got an AED out here until the first service. If anybody's eyes start getting heavy, uh, you know, and you look like you're in danger, we're, going to, we're just going to, we're going to shock you back to us, okay? Because we love you and we care about you, okay? So, um, so uh, stay with me, okay? Um, the, ascended, the ascension means that King Jesus is victorious. So those passages I just read indicate that Jesus is seated above all rulers and authorities and powers. The, the, the ascension means that Jesus is above all that and he's on a throne. And that means that the truest thing about you isn't all the sin you've committed. Isn't that good news? The truest thing about you isn't anything you've done. The truest thing about you isn't anything that's been done to you. The truest thing about you is that Christ has done something for you. He has died, he has risen, and now he's ascended above all rulers, powers, and authorities. That's what's most deeply true about you. There's two truths that I'm hit with every single day. One, I am a mess. Thank you. Two, I'm not sure where that amen came from. Two, Christ is king. You're a mess, and Christ is the king. This world is a mess, and Christ is the king. Which bits of data are you going to focus on? Which of those truths is going to be more deeply true for you? You are a mess, and Christ is the king. The truest thing about you can be that Christ is is king, risen, ascended, exalted above every addiction, every sin, everything you've ever done or had done to you. He has authority over your addiction. He has authority over shame and over sin. You know, as we, as we fix our imagination and our hearts and our thoughts and our minds on his ascension and his seated at the right hand of the Father, man, the chains of addiction can start to, to fade away from us. The bonds of addiction can begin to break. The hold of bitterness fades as we, just, as we focus on the, the, the exalted one who died and rose and ascended. Even racism. Did you know that racism can be done away with as we celebrate around the throne of God and we worship with all tribes and tongues and nations and we repent of the part we've played in racism? We can join hands with every tribe, tongue, and nation around the ascended Christ and realize that, that, that even that sin can be broken by the ascension of Jesus. New creation has begun. So I'm a mess. You're a mess. But you know what's more deeply true? He's king. He reigns. New creation has begun. The ascension means that the person of Jesus is exalted. But not only that, the ascension means the way of Jesus is exalted. The ascension means that Jesus as a person is exalted, but it also means his way is exalted. See, we like the idea of power and exaltation, don't we? I do. And we like that idea of being in charge. 
But it's not just Jesus' personhood that's exalted by the ascension. His way is. How did he get there? He got there through self-sacrificial love. He didn't take it up for himself. He didn't, he didn't claim, he didn't defend it himself. He didn't say, nobody's going get, to uh, get, get one over on me. He laid his life down. His way is exalted as the way. And self-sacrificial, humble love, the world still looks at that and says, you'd be a fool to do that. The church, so often we've tried to achieve Christian ends, but doing it in a way that is not the Christ way. But we, if we want, the, if we want to, to have the, the Jesus truth and the Jesus life, we've got to do it the Jesus way. Self-sacrificing, generous, other-centered, neighbor-loving, enemy-loving. Evil did its worst to Jesus. And he absorbed it. And now he's seated on a throne above all rulers and powers and authorities. And there's not anything Satan can do about that. You know what? Evil's going to try to do its worst to you. And you know what? There's a lot of things that can happen to you. You can die. People you love can die. Terrible things can happen. You can lose all your money. You can lose your job. Your boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife can ditch you. All of that stuff can happen. People can call you a liar. People can laugh at you. But there's one thing evil can't do. Evil can't make it where Jesus is king. There's one thing Satan cannot do. He can't make Jesus not be king anymore. Because he is. And he's overcome, and evil did its worst to Jesus. And evil will try to do its worst to you, but he's king, and evil can't change that. So what happens when, uh, what happens, what difference does it make in my life if I'm suffering or if I'm struggling? How does the ascension of Jesus even help with that? Well, let's ask Stephen. If you look over in Acts chapter 7, Stephen is preaching this incredible sermon and at the end, the sermon was so good, people picked up rocks and started throwing them at him. That's how you know you've, you've brought it, okay? People start trying to kill you. And so the end of Acts chapter 7, so, so Stephen preaches, and man, it's a, it's, a, it's a great message. Christ-exalting message. Verse 54, Acts seven fifty four. they heard these things, they were enraged, they ground their teeth at him, yes, but he, full of the Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, stopped the ears, rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city, stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the, the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He could have said, I'm innocent, and he was. He could have said, I don't deserve this, and that's true. He could have defended himself, and none of us would have blamed him. But his vision of the ascended Christ empowered him to act like Christ, and die like Christ, and live like Christ. That's what the ascension does. That Paul, that Saul, that all the people laid their coats at a couple chapters later, he has an encounter with the ascended Christ, and he goes from being a persecutor to a pastor. That's what happens when we encounter, when we focus our minds, our hearts, our affections on the risen, ascended king. In Acts 1, we saw Jesus ascends in a cloud. He enters that cloud, and that cloud is a picture of, throughout Scripture of the presence of God. 
It was a cloud that filled the temple in the Old Testament. It was a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day that accompanied the people of Israel through the wilderness. At Jesus' transfiguration in the book of Luke, there's a cloud around he and Peter, James and John. This is a picture of the presence of God. And as he, as he ascends into heaven and he goes into the clouds, it's not just about he's going way out there. It's about he's entering into the presence of his Father. But what was the Son of Man in Daniel? What was the Son of Man in Daniel riding on as he overcomes and goes up to be seated by the ancient of days above every rule of power he was on a cloud and 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 and, and the people had wondered how, how's the son of man going to overcome the beast the beast is so powerful and the beast boasts and brags and brags and brags about how powerful it is and the beast loves that it has the power to kill the power to destroy the power to wreak havoc, the power to grind individuals and nations into dust. In this world today, still, we love power of that kind. We love the power to kill. We're seduced by the power of the beast. And yet the power of the lamb has overcome the power of the beast. And there is one seated at the right hand of the Father. And who am I going to model my life after? Am I going to look and live like the beast? Or am I going to look and live like the lamb? It's an important question. He's overcome the love of power by the power of love. Isn't that amazing? He's overcome the power, the love of power by the power of love. I better get moving. King Jesus is victorious too. King Jesus is available. King Jesus is available. The disciples were stunned initially at the news that Jesus is ascending to his father because they, like us, assumed that that meant less Jesus, less of his presence, less access. But his ascension actually means the opposite. There were times in his incarnation on earth where he's limited to being in one place and one time that there were people that wanted to get to Jesus that couldn't. But his ascension means he's available. He's poured out his spirit. That means he's everywhere at once. That means he's available to all of us. You know, uh, do you ever get frustrated with somebody because you don't have the access to them that you'd like? Do, Do other people ever get frustrated with you that they don't have the access to you that they would like to have? I mean, this happens to me sometimes. Somebody will maybe call me and, hey, can you help me do this? Can you help me do that? And I'm like, well, I'm actually doing this or that. And I'm limited by the laws of time and space. And so I can't be there to help you right now. Oh, well, big Mr. Big Shot Preacher, I, I see how it is. <laughs> Sorry, silly me. What was I thinking? Uh, by the way, I wish you'd say more or no often. Just don't say it to me, okay? Um, yeah, but see, I'm, I'm limited by time and space. And sometimes I can't be there. Just like when somebody you love calls you, maybe you can't be there. And so we disappoint each other. But you know what we can do? You know what I can say that, hey, even better than me being there is I can walk boldly before the throne of grace and I can talk to the one that can be there. How about, how about I do that? How about I storm boldly before the throne of grace and I take this need before our Father, before our King Jesus, the ascended one. And man, that's so much more than I could do means more access to Jesus. We want access to people we care about. And Jesus has given us access all the time because he's ascended and he's on the throne and he's available. Romans 8, 34, he's seated at the right hand of the Father and he makes intercession for us. Imagine if somebody famous followed you on Twitter. Wouldn't that be amazing? Who's a famous person you would like to follow you on Twitter? Or Instagram or, yeah. Bruce Willis. All right, so if, if Bruce Willis followed me uh, on Twitter, um, I would think that was a pretty big deal. And, and, uh, but you know what? Like, even more incredible, that's actually hard to top, Bruce Willis. But more incredible than Bruce Willis, the king of the universe 
is pulling for you. The king of the universe, when you're tempted, he's praying for you. The king of the universe wants your good. The king of the universe is at his father's side and he's saying, don't quit, don't stop, don't give up. I'm pulling for you now. What could be more astonishing and incredible than that? Finally, King Jesus is returning. The angels come up and the disciples are like us and the disciples are going, I think I see a, a stripe of his sandal still hanging out there. But he's, and, and, and they're staring and the angels come and they don't, what do the angels not say? They don't say, hey, don't worry, he's going to beam you up soon enough. It's not what they say. They say he is returning. What's going to happen when he returns? The bridge, the gap, the, 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 the rupture between heaven and earth will be fully healed. He's coming back, and when he comes back, all things will be made fully new. And in the meantime, you've got a mission. In the meantime, you've got a job to do. I've got a job to do, and we can leave this place. We can kick down the door, and we can go live the few short days or hours or minutes or years or decades that we have, and we can live it for something bigger than ourselves. We can live it as ambassadors of the risen and ascended king and do what he left us doing, being witnesses for him. When he returns, heaven and earth are going to be brought fully together. We pray for that day and we have glimpses of that day. And in the meantime, we pray, let your kingdom come and your will be done. As the band comes up, just want to close with some words from Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard, incredible gift to the body of Christ. And he went to be with the Lord a few years ago. And after he had spent years writing and teaching and calling the church back to the ways of Jesus and the central teachings of Jesus... He was asked in this interview towards the end of his life, do you ever just throw your hands up in despair when you see how far the church is from what Jesus called us to be? I know my answer to that. But Willard said, no, I don't despair. The interviewer said, why? And Willard said, because Christ is the head of his church and he knows what he's doing. That's what it looks like when our hearts, our imaginations, our minds are set on the reality that Christ is king. He is seated, he is victorious, he is available, and he is returning. So what is your next step in light of that? Is there somebody to forgive? Is there something to let go of? Is there an addiction to lay down? Is your next step to follow him in faith, to place your trust in him uh, and be transformed by him? Is your next step to follow him in baptism or commit to our church family? I don't know what it is. But everybody in this room has a next step. And you're just invited to stand as we sing this song, as we pray these words. Let's take our next step together.